What's up? Welcome back to Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Ken. I'm Michelle. And we're about to jump right into another episode of Queer as Folk. Okay, before we get there, a couple of announcements. So I have a fun one. We have been working on a Queer as Folk-inspired tarot card project. And so I'm not really sure what all we're going to do with that yet, but... Be on the lookout for those because they look really cool. Oh, I can't so. wait, girl. They were so dope. I can't wait for <laughs> everyone to get to see them because yeah. each week when we started getting them in, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, guys, they're a must-see, so we can't wait to present them for you. Also, guys, you know that we've been talking about our Pink Plate special, which is our part two to Liberty Diner Dish. So we actually have that up and running, so you can catch a trailer of that if you like to on any of your streaming platforms. So that is up and running. We've got a little teaser trailer over there. So check that out when you have the free time. Yeah. All right. So with that said, and uh, without any further ado, we get to jump into 513. Yeah. The, like, official commentary. Yes. <laughs> after the reaction. But a lot of people lo- appreciated and loved, well, I won't say a lot, like everyone who responded, they loved your your response to that. Your, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean. It was tough. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. It was very raw. I had literally just finished that episode. So it was like credits right to the recording <laughs> session, yeah. you know, so you could catch my raw emotion. And I had to like try to cut you off because I didn't want you to, like, a lot of it we were going to discuss here right. on this episode. And if we have to on a second one, but so I had to like try to moderate that, <laughs> but still wanted to get that out there. Right. And there's a specific reason also why I wanted to get that out there. Uh-huh. And we'll talk about it later. Oh, you always got all these little secrets and plans. <laughs> I know. I'm still hiding stuff. I know, like... That will, like, always be an unofficial theme. I see. I'm like, okay, I have completed the season. I should be privy to everything now. now, Okay. You know, I always got stuff up these (laughs) sleeves. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Well, here we go. We start this episode outside of a bombed-out Babylon, and it is daylight. Now, thinking of this scene in comparison to the pilot episode in the first introduction that we got to Babylon where we've gone from night to day, and a lot of time has passed, and a lot of things have changed. Seeing Babylon like this almost feels like the end of an era, Mm -hmm. seeing it, you know, these guys are clearing out all the debris and all that junk, and it just, it almost feels like the end of an era. Um, Michael is narrating for us again, which is really nice callback to, uh, Uh (laughs) to season one. And he says, they say change is good for you, that it keeps you on your toes. If that's true, Michael says that he should be a ballerina. (laughs) Um, uh, Then he walks us through all the changes that we've seen, and we get it in these quick little scenes with everyone. Babylon is now a bombed out memory. Melanie and Lindsay are packing to move Mm -hmm. to Canada, which means that between the lines or between the scenes, Brian relented. Mm -hmm. He says Ted would at last find true love because he's with Tad now. And or that Mr. Brian Kinney would ask Mr. Justin Taylor for his hand in marriage. Yeah, I know. All those little those little scenes, I mean, it is kind of crazy. I'm right where Michael is, like, who would have guessed? Because like I said before in my reaction, I would have never predicted season five to to be the way it is, you know? Yeah. With the girls packing up and leaving, you know. Hell, the big kicker, yes. Brian <laughs> and Justin engaged like i would have never predicted that ever so i mean yes they did their their storytelling perfectly how Mm -hmm. each character just grew over each season and they just progressed even more so i mean it's only right for them to be there but i mean we're still in shock i'm pretty sure the whole gang is in shock they have to act like they're not like oh yeah we 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 saw this love because a lot of this stuff just came up in the last episode or two Mm -hmm, exactly but yeah i mean my mouth is still dropped. It, mm-hmm. It's still dropped. Although I know the ending, my mouth is still dropped. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the grooms-to-be, they are being fitted for their wedding tuxedos. And uh, at a Hugo Boss, Justin asks Brian, how do I look? Good, bad, laughable? And Brian just kind of stares at him for a minute. And then he says, he looks beautiful. That was the sexiest little scene. Like yeah. it, was, it was so cute. It was innocent. But something about it was just like, Damn, this man just knows what to say. Damn, <laughs> yeah. this man got the best lines. Or, oh, he's just the smoothest. Oh, why can't I be Justin Taylor? You know? <laughs> yeah. I love that word choice that he goes for beautiful. He could have gone with, like, handsome, extremely effable, mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, anything. But this is Brian really telling Justin how he sees him, mm-hmm. and he sees him as something more than just his physical attributes. Yes. Like, he is just a beautiful person mm-hmm. and a beautiful man to him. 
And um, but why does Justin look so surprised when he says it? Yeah, <laughs> that's the question. Like, well, this really? is so new for Justin. Justin doesn't wear suits and tuxedos all the time. Right. In fact, I think the last time he saw Justin in a tuxedo was at prom. Oh yeah, and, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. that's really, we don't want to go back to that yeah, memory, no. but We're I think way. that's probably the last time Brian saw him in a tux. Mm-hmm. But uh, back to you saying Justin looks surprised. Like he he really does look surprised and. Uh, he's grown so much, but there's still this like youthful lightheartedness. Then you kind of really feel his age in that scene. Yeah. Like he, he did. <laughs> like you could feel the youthfulness, like you said, yeah. in him on this. And then as he's getting dressed, and when Brian says that he's beautiful, I mean, just the way his face kind of lights up like mm-hmm. a Christmas tree. It's almost like a little kid in a candy store. I do. Yes, yeah. like it, it was super cute. Yeah, and Brian says it's not a, a question; it's a declaration. So he should try and be more emphatic when the minister asks if he wants to go through with this. <laughs> Then Justin turns to him with absolute confidence and certainty says, I do. And then they kiss. So to me, there are these little subtle things that the writers put in all throughout this episode that give us some assurance about where these two will stand mm-hmm. when the episode ends. So I'm going to go ahead and let that cat out the bag. Yes. <laughs> but like J- Justin wants to go through with this. Brian's excited about them going through with this. And they want to be united in a way that is sure and lasting. True. You said something about Justin's face lighting up. And I think that's what both of them, like, they can both still light the other one up. Like, uh, absolutely. You see it in their face, you know? Yeah, it's almost like they never got out of the honeymoon stage. Right. You know, like, they they still have that same love, that same affection that you have in the very beginning stages of relationship. And then some, usually it kind of, like, fades out and then you got to find ways to recreate it again. It's almost like they never lost it. Maybe because they didn't put labels on themselves. I don't right. I don't I don't know. Maybe it's because they didn't they didn't confine each other to a small box. They let each other be who they were and they didn't put parameters around it. You know, it's like, hey, if you want to go out here with some trick, I know where home is. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be there. I know you come home to me. That's a nothing nobody. So I don't think that they ever went through those I mean, yes, they had ups and downs. We know right. for a fact they had ups and downs, peaks and valleys, you know. Right. Um, but they knew they stay grounded and they stay true to themselves. And that's why this relationship actually works in my eyes, because Justin is always going to support Brian and he trusts Brian. He knows Brian and vice versa. Brian's no exact. Brian knows exactly who Justin is. He knows what to expect from Justin. He knows he knows Justin knows where home is. And now that Brian is opening up that heart and actually articulating his actual thoughts and feelings. I right. mean, now he gets a deeper level of Brian. So it only makes sense that they still can light each other worlds up. Yeah. I like the shot of them in the, how it's, they're sitting in front of that mirror and we get these repeating images of them. Like, it could just be a cinematography choice, but I like to say that it's a visual representation of this kind of endless bond mm. that is there for them. But that's just me going overboard. Because Bow, girl. Y'all know I go overboard. That was good, though. <laughs> okay, if that was overboard, that was good. Okay. Yeah. But y'all can think whatever y'all want to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, over at the Novotny Bruckner household, things are pretty much the same, Michael says. Ben and Hunter are at the table doing some homework, and he's a little bit behind after his stint at Disney, but Ben believes that he will catch up. When Michael comes over, the phone rings, and Hunter leaves to answer it. And so Michael and Ben are talking, and Michael's flipping through Hunter's notebook, and he sees that he's been doodling Hunter Novotny Bruckner on his notebook. And off screen, we hear a very mannerable and polite Hunter talking to whoever is on the phone Mm -hmm. because he's like, oh, hold for one second. I'm sorry. Please hold for one second. (laughs) They'll see the change in this young man. Yeah. Okay. Because I would have never have dressed him as a young man. And he's doing that off screen with some some stranger on the phone. Exactly. He didn't have to. No one was in his face. He didn't Mm -hmm. have to put on an act. I feel like that's truly who he is. I think I spoke on it before because this man, this guy, this kid really never had a true childhood. He was always mm-hmm. forced into doing things that he really should have no no part in at such a young age. With Michael and Ben, they allowed him to be a kid again. Mm-hmm. Although it took time to break down those walls, like, hey, like this is where you belong. This is how you can really do whatever you want to do. We're going to give you the respect to do what you want to do, but we want you to know that you can be a kid around us. You don't have to be an adult. You don't have to worry about fitting for yourself out here if that's what we're going to do for you. So I think taking that stress off of him, mm-hmm. it kind of gave him a sense of relief. And he's able to actually, you know, function in this world like a normal teenager. He actually probably was a sweet kid, but he had to be tough. He had to have that rough exterior to survive out here in these Pennsylvania streets. And to see him in that moment, like you said, with those those manners over the phone and then the Novotny Bruckner is I mean, it was just like there was a heartwarming moment for me. I was like, oh, my God, they didn't broke through to him. Yeah. Well, and I like that they gave him appropriate responsibility. It's like. 
clean your room, oh, put your dishes away, mm-hmm. that kind of like structured. Mm-hmm. But we understand that you can, we know that you can take care of yourself, but you don't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. And so without that, like you were saying, without that weight on him, that burden on him, we get to see who he really is True. when he is in an environment that he can thrive in. Yes. Yeah. Well, the call is for Michael. It's the it's from the Community for Human Rights, and they want Michael for what we don't know yet. Well, Emmett and Ted are at the gym. Emmett is not happy with Ted. Mm-mm. He hasn't heard from Ted in days, mm. except for an email canceling his birthday dinner. Who calls their friends? Not even call, but who sends an email? Yeah. Okay, to my <laughs> friends, I wish you would send me an email to cancel something on me. Yeah. All hells is breaking loose. Right. Okay. Well, then Ted tells him about the getaway that Tad has planned for them. Mm. Emmett is about to leave, but he has something to say. He's like, you have known Tad for three weeks, and you're blowing off your friends Mm. and canceling your party Mm. that you planned because he wants to do something with just the two of you. It's like, you've been spending all your time with him. And I'm not telling you you spend too much time with him. It's just like... This is controlling your life. Yeah. it's And I understand being excited about a new relationship, but this is controlling your whole life. But history shows that Ted needs someone like Emmett to hover over because this man throws all the eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. You know this man for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And you're already isolating yourself out? Like, baby girl, that's red flags. Yeah. Okay? You need someone like Emmett. Yeah. Ted says that Emmett is jealous because he finally found the love of his life. Now, first of all, Ted, you have had ten loves of your life that since part. we met you. Baby <laughs> so, girl. Just a few episodes ago, he was ready to, like, get circumcised, convert <laughs> to Judaism just for the doctor that he met once. You know? Yes. Like, let's, girl, let's slow it down. Let's slow it down let's to love down. My, You're just, just That made me mad, actually, because I feel like Emmett has been nothing but a strong friend for you in all of the rough times. Because, Ted, you are... The, you're the problem, friend. You're the one that if I saw your name come across my phone, I'm like, oh, Lord. what? Do I, y'all, should I answer this? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Do I, ain't nothing open but legs. Like, I mean, I don't know. He one of them problem-ass friends. You know what yeah. I'm like? And how dare you fix your lips and say some shit like that? Like, I'm jealous. Like, right. oh, you're just jealous. I found a true love of my life. That's two shades in one. Because you were just with me. Right. You know what I'm saying? A few months back. You, you feel me? Yeah. So, I mean, like... I could have been the love of your life, but you chose the substance over me. Right. And now just the love of your life after three weeks. And now I'm your best friend and you tell me that I'm jealous because I'm, no, bitch, I'm, I'm just looking out for you. I'm looking <laughs> yeah. out for you. Boy, yeah. uh-uh. that made me mad, actually, because, you know, nobody comes for Emmett. No <laughs> one right. comes for Emmett. <laughs> yeah. Makes me mad. Hey, I was almost done with Drew. You're lucky he was super sexy. <laughs> Emmett says that he is not jealous. Uh, nothing would make him happier than for Ted to find the love of his life. But he is concerned about Ted allowing someone he's known less than a month to isolate him. Well, Ted does not appreciate the accusation. And he's about to, like, really get going. But then Ted comes into the gym. I'm like, damn, boy, can't even get a good workout. He's not in gym clothes. He's not there to work out. He is there to tell Ted about a sale going on that they should check out before they go on their trip. And I'm just like, you could have called me. You could have waited until I got to the house. That part. (laughs) Baby, you're a little stalkerish now. Yeah. Okay? Because they didn't even have track my iPhone. You know, yeah. how, like, how do you even know I was in this area? Like, do you even have a membership here? How did you get in? He probably makes Ted, like, they probably had, like, a Blackberry back then. Oh, yeah. And he probably makes him, like, put in every <laughs> single minute of the day where mm-hmm. you are and what you're doing. And yes. Ted is like, he's so sweet. Yes, he's checking up on me. <laughs> he wants to know my day. Yeah, baby, he's a little, a little psycho-ish. Yeah. Okay, so I get that the reason that Tad is pushing this trip is because this specific weekend is the gay ski weekend. I get that part. But I'm like... You could have at least offered, like, okay, well, how about you do brunch with your friends that day instead of the dinner at night? Or how about let's do an alternate plan? Like, I feel like that would have been the thing to do. Because it's okay to want to take a trip with your significant other, and it has to be that weekend. But I feel like he could have offered something different. And also, baby, this is not high school. Like, you don't have to go Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That dinner was planned for Friday night. Y'all could have had dinner with them and left early. Hell, after dinner, let's baby, let's go ahead and drive up there. Baby, let's catch a let's catch a red eye flight. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I'm gonna put you in first since you're balling so much, <laughs> I'm gonna put you in first class and we're gonna go on up to the slopes. Mm-hmm. Okay? But no, cancel the dinner. We're gonna go all day Friday. No. Yeah. No. It's just yeah, without offering something else. Like you know that I'm yeah. gonna spend this time with my friends. I want you to meet my friends. So offer something else. Like that offer part. an alternative. Hey, Brian would have flew everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The friends would have came <laughs> on to the ski trip. You know what I'm saying? Brian would have had everybody with him. Period. Yeah. First class. Yeah, but I think Emmett is right to be concerned because he knows that Ted can put on blinders when it comes to his relationships. Now, that doesn't mean he hasn't grown because he has. It just means that's his default. Mm-hmm. It's to just kind of accept whatever 
comes to him. Yeah, when you want it so badly, I think you allure all your standards to get, you know, some type of affection. And that's where he is. He's too accessible. He's not—he has made strides. He definitely has grown over the seasons. But at the same time, we know in the love department, that's what he's desperately seeking. Right. So, I mean— That's his weakness. Yeah, that is his weakness. If he was Superman, that would be his kryptonite, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um— I think he'll sacrifice anything just to get a little, little taste of it, a little glimpse of it, especially with everyone around him that's finding that. So I, I kind of understand, but at the same time, baby, you're the oldest of the group. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. you're the oldest of the group, baby. You should you should know by now. Mm, yeah. Over at Kinetic, Brian is making a pitch to a client. This is Mr. Remsen, and he's got an assistant or somebody with him, a lady with him. Uh, and the ad that they're showing says, your wife doesn't need to know and neither does your girlfriend. Now, this is a campaign for an erectile dysfunction medication. The primary demographic is men ages 45 to 75. And Brian also knows that a portion of that demographic is likely gay or bisexual. Mm-hmm. And so they have an alternate poster. Your wife doesn't need to know and neither does your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So the lady, Miss Dixon, uh, speaks. These names killing me. I know. Remsen, Dixon, like, yeah. I'm, baby. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the woman speaks first, Miss Dixon, and she says that she finds it crude, offensive, and sophomoric. She feels like Brian isn't taking it seriously. Erectile dysfunction is a medical condition, which it really is. And she feels that he's ignoring that. This pill is called Bonerill. So come on now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So you tell me who's not taking this seriously. <laughs> well, Mr. Remsen agrees with Miss Dixon. She tells Brian that she wants to see a happily married uh, couple with gray in their hair, embracing each other in front of a fire with copy that reads "Rekindle the flame." Like not some crude joke. I mean, that sounds cute and all, but that doesn't have Brian Keating written over it. Also, Brian does realistic posts. That's not realistic to me. And how is that going to separate you from any other it's not, erectile dysfunction yeah, medicine out there? That's all you ever see. That sounds like something you would see on a romance novel cover or something. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't bring that doesn't read edgy. That doesn't read choose me, pick me over this person. You know, or let me let me read about this. At least what Brian does is eye catching. It draws you over to it. You want? Oh, I want to see this. I want. What is that? What she wants, yeah, no. What she wants <laughs> sounds too cookie cutter. It's too plain Jane. Yeah. Well, Mr. Generic. Yeah, Mr. Remsen says, these are conservative times we are living in, Brian. Sex no longer sells. And then they pack up and leave. Now, we do know that these are definitely conservative times, or they were, you know, at that time. Mm-hmm. Because Rage was, the movie was yeah. canceled because of it. And we Pro- have the Prop 14 Prop 14 is a product of it. Yeah, the bombing was a product of the ugly side of mm-hmm. condemning people who aren't as conservative as you think they should be. And then we sell the whole Stockwell shit, mm-hmm, you know, the seasons mm-hmm. before. So we know that we're... So it's been brewing. Yes. And now it's kind of like boiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But even knowing that the order of the day is conservative values, I didn't find the ad inappropriate. Like, I didn't it's either. just a little joke, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but that'll stick with you. And it's like, oh, yeah, I want that one. But, True. You know, you'll remember that. Uh, I thought it was fun. And I think that their insinuation that every man with erectile dysfunction is married to a woman, that's more offensive to me than anything that Brian said. Exactly. <laughs> like, what about the single men? What about the the gay men, the yeah. bisexual men? Mm-hmm. Like, what about them? So, yeah. Are you not being inclusive? <laughs> right. That's what it sounds like to me. I'm more offended by that. But they leave in a huff, and they want him to fix it. So we'll see. The issue I have with this is I, I know Brian is running his own business. This time, it felt like we got a different Brian in this scene. Like, he didn't give a lot of pushback because we know at um, Gardner Vance, Brian ran the show. I mean, he that was his spot. He was comfortable. He knew the ins and outs. In this, he kind of just like, okay, and kind of like took her advice. And almost, I, I feel like she was winning, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like she was winning. And I was just like, what's going on with Brian? Like, I know we got a, a softer Brian now, and I know that he's going, to, he's doing things that he would never normally do, but not when it comes to work, you yeah, know? Yeah, well, the thing is, I felt like he, if anything, I felt like he is not, believing in himself mm-hmm. because Brian does research to prepare all of these campaigns. It's not just like, let me throw a naked guy on everything. Right, right. You know, even if he's going to have a naked guy on it, he's very strategic about what he's doing. And so the fact that he did not come back at her with the research that I know he's done, mm-hmm. it's like, he feels like, He's not He's not defending himself. Right, yeah, what that's like. what it was. You know? He didn't defend himself. He's not defending his rights and his stance on yeah. things, and that's what's different. He's not Usually he always defends himself, you mm-hmm. know? Not to the point of, like, trying to pick a fight with you, but he's because he's going to be who's going to be, but he will say something back to you, like, no, this is why I did that. Exactly. And he didn't do that. He either. didn't, so I was like, what's going on? 
We see Justin helping Melanie and Lindsay with their packing and joking about them moving off to a new shore. They have um, a house picked out, and it's near a Starbucks, and there's a gap on the corner. Their future is secure, and Lindsay says that Justin's is too. Justin will miss seeing them and the kids, but Melanie says that he can always come visit or stay if he decides to pack up his bags and leave. <laughs> Girl, stop shooting shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But she's only joking, she says. She knows that he and Brian will be happy. Then she says, we all will be. Um, we see one of Justin's paintings over to the side in this scene. There's an extended version of this scene that talks a bit more about that. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll talk about that later. Michael and Ben are entertaining a guest. It's a congresswoman. I think her name is Beth is what her name is. And she is from the Committee for Human Rights. Since the bombing, support for Stop Prop 14 is up 28%. And they want to capitalize on the sudden swell of sympathy, which sounds like something a politician would say. Yep. Uh, because it's very opportunistic, but it's also very true. true. You know, people. Well, hearts, we needed to strike when you got to strike when the hearts are soft. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's shitty, but okay, I'm a partner with the devil for a minute because yeah. you know the politician is going to tell you whatever they want to tell you. Mm-hmm. To, you know, to get in that office. But at this point, like, we need to strike now. Like, right. we already up twenty eight percent. You know, the hearts are warm. And people do forget. Yeah. And so, yeah, you got to do it while they're mm-hmm. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But she kind of makes me raise an eyebrow when she says that they want to show the general public that the gay community is not just the transvestites and the leather daddies they see at the gay pride parades. Like, it's like mm. well, I was willing to go with you. Like, yes, but... girl. Like, I was I, had, I was about to get on the bus. Yeah, but... I was about to buy a ticket, baby. Yeah, I might just follow behind you in my own car. That part, okay. <laughs> yeah. She says, uh, for the most part, it's people like Michael, people who are normal is what she is saying. Um, people who are in a committed relationship, have a home in the mm-hmm. suburbs and children. And I get it, but I don't love it. Yeah, exactly. Because I was about to say, I totally understand why she said it or, you know, like, what has to be done because she's trying to prove the point like, hey, these are everyday people. These are normal people. Just like the heterosexual couples and married couples I hear. I, I get it, but baby, work on your verbiage. Right. You're you're a paid speaker. <laughs> or like, be honest with yeah. me. And tell me, hey, we gotta present it this way for yeah. this reason. Exactly. Yeah. But so but that tells me you are being honest with me. This is how you really think. Mm-hmm. So True. I mean, like you just showed me your true colors and I'm not painting you new ones. Yeah. Uh, but this is a debate that has been happening for many years, with I- even within the queer community. Like, do we give them the palatable version of us, or do we give them us in all our colors and our glory? And organizations have split and dissolved over that mm-hmm. argument. Like, who should be the face of our movement? Or right, whatever. right. They want Michael to be the face of their mission. They want him to give a speech at this little thing that they're going to have. A one that they will write because Michael's all worried about his public speaking. But they're like, we'll, don't you worry, we'll write it. And Michael is honored, and I get it. Like, this is a cause he's been fighting for. He almost like lost his life for mm-hmm. an event in support of this cause. And it's a chance to get a bigger audience behind it. So I get why he's excited yeah. and not really seeing those. He didn't see the little, the little I, I won't even call them red. We'll call them yeah, yellow flags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to say I'd be a little hesitant, but... I don't really know because you do see it like, okay, I realize that this isn't the way that I want to do it, but if it can get us an audience, Mm -hmm. I see where he might be. Facts. It's even like uh, Justin in season one when that lady, the uh, congresswoman then, was was coming out in support of um, the Gay Straight Student Mm -hmm. Alliance at his school. Mm -hmm. And Brian was like, she's just using you. And Justin was like, yeah, maybe, but. I'm going to use her too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Facts. We see Brian at home working on the revised ad for Remsen, and that made me remember, Mr. Remsen ought to know what he's going to get from Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and because that's how Brian won him over was with that honest campaign, you know, mm-hmm. like, let's just tell the truth. Let's show this condition for what it really is. Mm-hmm. And so he should know what he's getting when he deals with Brian. So like, shame on you, Mr. Remsen, for thinking that you walked into somebody else's office today. Because, exactly. You know? But anyway... Justin comes in and he takes a look at what Brian is working on and Brian shows them. He's like, which option do you prefer? They both have the older couple in front of the fire with wine and turtlenecks. And of course, we already know turtlenecks mean maturity in the Queer as Folk universe. (laughs) Um, And the copy options are stir the embers or the flames still burning. Those are the current options that he's got. Mm -hmm. Well, Justin is not a fan of either option. Brian says just because Justin wouldn't watch geriatrics going wild doesn't mean they can't do it. I wonder if there's a bit of like projecting in that because we know Brian's sensitive about anything mm-hmm. to do with age. True. So. Period. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's not why Justin doesn't like them. They're not edgy, funny, or sexy, which are all things that Kinetic is known for. 
And Brian says, haven't you heard? Sex is out. Well, Justin doesn't know where he heard that. And he tells Brian to put on some slutty club clothes and grab the drugs because they are going out. True. (laughs) And it goes back. This scene goes back to what I was saying, like, with Brian not defending himself. Then to see him at home, he looked worried, you know, and stressed. Yeah. He doesn't want his name associated with that campaign. Exactly. So it was like, damn, is he compromising himself for the dollar? You know, it Mm -hmm. was like, well, I mean, it's your business. You got to compromise sometimes. I get that. Yeah. Especially for million dollar accounts. Right. I get it. But it was like. Wow, I didn't expect to see that. And then to see him actually reworking it. I thought he would have been like, you know what? Fuck it. Get out of my, you know, like, I'm not going to take this client. Like, it is what it is. Or let's run this one on these channels and let's run mine on these other channels. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he went back to the drawing board and was literally sitting there, like, I mean, working out two brand new. And doing her idea. Yeah. even think of this. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what she told him to do. Exactly. So it wasn't his. So it wasn't original. It didn't have that Brian Kenny feel to it. And. Just like Justin didn't like it, I didn't like it either. But yeah, his man said, we going to the club. And how many people would feel like they won the fiancé lottery if their fiancé said that to them? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But Brian was thinking they would spend a nice evening at home. Justin finds that a bit comical. And it's funny because in season two, Justin would have pounced all over that in Mm -hmm. season two. But in season two, Justin was dealing with a lot of junk. They both were. And a quiet night in for Brian meant having to deal with his own feelings and listen to his own thoughts. And he did not want to do that. No, no, no. And Justin wanted a quiet night in because he needed to know that they had something to hold on to, Mm -hmm. something real. And so the situation was totally different in season two. And so I don't see at all that Justin is being a hypocrite here (laughs) or, or, you know, being. um, I hope hopefully that's not the thought. People are very sensitive about anything to do with Brian. Right. So, I understand. Not everybody. True. But people are very sensitive about things to do with Brian. And it's like, well, Justin, you wanted this at one point. Now he's offering it to you. You don't want it anymore. And it's like, okay, yeah, let's but look my at thing, why he was wanting that. True. But also, there's gray areas. Just because somebody want to stay in for one night doesn't right. mean that we're popping out. You know what I'm saying? That we're going to be in every day. we're on or, the rocks Yeah, right you feel now. me? And yeah. so I'm like, hey, let's spend some time on us. Exactly. Like, yeah. If we're rocky, whatever the case, let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to you and I. But they're perfect. Like, they're engaged. They're happy. You can see the, the love in their eyes and their face. And, yes, he said, I'm going to have a quiet night in. He was like, no. Clearly, he can see this is not Brian. So, we're going to throw yeah. you. We're going to throw some clothes on you, baby. We're going to take you to your, your, your spots and get your energy back up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, then you maybe can come back and work and be focused and then fuck a shot of me, too. Yeah. So, I mean, period. Oh, <laughs> <So>, yeah. <laughs> so, get up and let's get to yeah, it. Baby. Yeah, baby. And you see, he didn't hesitate. Right. Okay. No, Yeah. Well, there is no telling what our poor sunshine had to do, but he got old man Kenny out of the house and to Woody's for a little surprise. The gang is all there. Well, the male contingent of the, <laughs> the gang and a bunch of other men who probably also know Brian in a very intimate way. Uh, uh, Brian is pleasantly surprised and a very smug looking Justin is happy that they pulled this off. It's the end of Brian's life as he knows it. His farewell appearance. Kenny's last stand. Welcome to that quaint heterosexual tradition known as the stag party. Emmett says with a slightly gay twist. (laughs) Uh, Tad is there, but he has like tucked himself over into a corner. And Ted tells him to come join them. And he declines and tells Ted to hurry back. Um, no, like, we're already going to have the whole weekend together, and we have been together all day. This is a party for two of my closest friends, and so I'm going to go over there with them, and you can come over there with us. That part. You can sit over here, or you can go home. That part, because you know what? It would have been like, no, you're actually embarrassing me, because I'm going to need you to be over here. This is a big day for my friends and my boss. Right. So, I mean, my friend (laughs) slash boss. Right. I'm going to need you to get up over here and be sociable, okay? Like You said you want to meet my friends. Yeah. Here they all are. We're not getting to do my party, Mm -mm. so here's a chance to do it. That part. Okay. And my friends, they don't even know you Mm -hmm. like that. Like, we said, hi. Yeah. We don't know you at all. All we know is that you you jumped in here the last three weeks and you took all his time and now he's canceling shit and going out of town with you. That's all we know. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was really weird. I, I would feel a certain type of way if if I was having an event or something. Oh, if you were having an event and then Brad stood in the corner and, and didn't yeah. want to come over as if he didn't know you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that would be so weird. And even if we hadn't awkward. met, if he made no effort. To, if you weren't going to do that, why show up to this thing? Exactly. It's know? almost like you're keeping tabs on me. Like, I yeah. didn't need you to come here because I'm... Now, what you did is put Ted in an awkward position. You did. Because yes. does he choose you or his friend? Exactly. Yeah. So, and you yeah. didn't have to come. No, you didn't. Okay? <laughs> yeah. You knew you weren't going to come and be social. So, mm-hmm. you could have stayed at the house. Right. Waited for me. But Ted is nicer than we are. He goes over to the bar to grab a drink for himself and for Tad. 
Um, they go to Woody's all the time. So Ted is uh, pretty friendly with this bartender there. Uh, his name is um, Ringo. As uh, Ted is talking to the bartender, Ted is kind of looking around the corner watching. And Ted's like, oh, he's so sweet. And I'm like, I don't know if I read sweet in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing murder eyes. Yes, no, for real. <laughs> yeah. Well, Emmett comes over to Ted at the bar to apologize. And it's very big of him. He probably still has those same concerns and feels that way. But he wants Ted to know that he does trust him to make his own decisions. And I think that's very important in friendships, but that's also very important when you're dealing with a recovering addict mm-hmm. for them to know that despite the circumstance, I trust you to make the right decision yes. for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a very important thing to to tell them. And also, that was a really big move of Emmett mm-hmm. to come over and say, hey, I want to apologize. I want to clear the air, you know. So, I mean, I love that Emmett, he actually did that. Yeah. And Emmett tells him, I am a little jealous, not because Ted has Ted, but because Ted has Ted. <laughs> Cute, but that's such a tongue twister. I know. I kind of hate it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ted uh, may not be the one for Emmett, but Emmett knows that um, Ted is a great catch. They hug, and then Ted goes over to deliver Tad's drink. Well, Tad is not happy. Uh, he tells Ted that he can shove his cranberry and soda. Like, uh, first of all, you better be glad I didn't pay for this. That part, I know okay. what he's paying full price for some juice, and yeah. you gonna throw it at me? Yeah, he's too much, girl. <laughs> yeah. Too much. He threw a whole hissy. Yeah, okay, a, a whole, whole hissy I mean, fit. Zero to one hundred. No, zero quick. to one thousand. Yeah, that boy went quick. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Girl, it's one thing to be like in the corner doing your thing, you know, and then you know, waving and being cute. If you see me, you when you see me, but this man wasn't even doing that. And then when I'm trying to tell people about how sweet you are, I got my friends already on my neck about about your ass, and then they come up to apologize. And then when I come to you, you accuse me of some shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then you get crazy. Like I mean, he raised his voice. I thought he was one second one second away from socking him in the face. Yeah, I was like, like, oh my god. Ted is confused, and so am I. So he chases after him to find out what's going on. Well, according to Ted, for starters, Ted was coming on to Ringo, the bartender, then his beloved Emmett, and Ted was like, I thought that was over. Well, Ted, sorry, was like, I thought that was over. And Ted tries to explain it all, but Ted calls him a slut and is yelling at him right there with the door open. He says he should have never gotten involved with Ted, and... He tells him to go back to his friends. He never wants to see him again. Then he signs off with an F-U. That part. And, girl, he was sober. He wasn't even drunk. Yeah. Like, this was normal <laughs> off those lips. Like, baby, I didn't see you have not one cocktail on those lips. Right. <laughs> and, and you had the nervous say all that? Like, okay, good riddance to you. loudly. Loudly. You didn't even let the door close. Girl, uh-uh, it couldn't have been me because I would have followed after. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh-uh, hold up. Wait a minute. We ain't done. Yeah, yeah. no. Mm-mm. <laughs> My little imaginary hair flipped my everything, okay? Mm -mm. Where are you going? Well, back inside the bar, Michael gets everyone's attention to give a speech in Brian's honor. It's a toast in memory of Brian Kinney. Uh, He never met a man he didn't like. (laughs) Then it passes over to Ben. In Brian's younger days, he dreamed of being a lawyer. He wanted to get innocent men off. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) He was willing to go to any length to get to the bottom of things. Yes! Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Emmett says that later, Brian devoted himself to volunteer work. If he heard that someone was laid up or flat on their back, he'd come time and time again (laughs) until they felt better. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Michael finishes, now that he is gone, I'm sure every man here would agree that he has left a hole that can never be filled. That part. To Brian. To Brian. (laughs) They killed it. Yeah, and they also got him a little private dancer. The guy takes his hand and is leading him off. To, they don't have a back room. I guess a bathroom. I don't know. Some staff room or something. Uh, as Brian is following him, he stops and he says, the prisoner respectfully chooses not to partake in his last meal, but to be led instead to the gallows, a hungry but happy man. He says this as he walks away from Mr. Private Dancer and back over to Justin. But Justin's like, no, go. Have a little fun. Like, I give you my permission. Like, go do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I respect the gesture. Thank you, Brian. But maybe that's not you. Go. Yeah, yeah. Go, like, No, no, no. I knew exactly what was going to, what was planned mm-hmm. for this. Like, I'm sure Justin was involved in every bit of the planning. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nah, I'm cool with all of this. Brian says that he is content to take his winnings and go home. And he gives Justin a kiss on the cheek. Because that is his winnings, and those are great winnings. Yeah, it's a jackpot, but Yeah, but then he offers the other guy to Emmylou, who does not need his arm twisted. Period. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As he skips on over. Yeah, and then Justin kind of looks over at Brian like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that was odd, yeah. I don't think Brian is feeling um, deprived, necessarily. 
uh, or like he's not allowed to do this. I think Brian's just really not sure how to feel or what he's allowed to feel or do mm-hmm. right now. I think he's having an, I think he's been having an identity crisis since, um, since really since Brandon came on the scene, but it right. wasn't because of Brandon. That's just but what that made him more mm-hmm. that yeah, that made it more obvious. But he's been having an identity crisis most of this season, and so I think right now he he has some things concrete in his mind that he wants, but it's like he doesn't know how to make all that work. I mean, if you really look at Brian, you can look in his eyes. His eyes tell the story of what's going on. The second half of the season. His eyes, he just, he did a lot of listening. He didn't mm-hmm. he didn't speak a lot. He was just observing. I feel like he was always in his head these last couple episodes. And he would just, like you said, he's figuring things out. And, you know, trying to see where does he fit in this new puzzle that's been presented to him. Like, how does, where does his puzzle piece go on this board? And you can really just see the wheels turning. The fact that he turned down the dancer, you know, it was a sweet gesture, like I said. But that doesn't give, that doesn't read Brian Kenny. That's not the man that Justin knows, you know. So that's sending all type of flags across everyone. If you look at the cast when he sends when he says it, look at all their faces. They're all, they're all kind of they're not like shocked, but they're still looking like what's what mm-hmm. Brian? No, yeah, and because they already know the arrangement with Justin and him. Like it's no strange thing for them to go out and trick. Right. I also think that his wheels are turning. Like well, now that I am engaged and now that I'm getting married, what does that look like? Because Maybe he's trying. They have not really defined that. Right. They're, they're still working on the old rules, you know. Mm-hmm. So is, are there going to be new rules that go into the play when we say I do? I think that he's he's literally in his head and he's really just trying to figure it out. And then he has work on top of that that's not going the way he wants to go. I mean, everything is brand new to him right now. Right. And it's like I am different. I have evolved. I have changed. But I don't know how to express that. Right. And what what can come with me from, quote unquote, my old life, my Mm -hmm. old self, what can come with me and what has to stay behind? What do I want to stay behind? What do I want to? I think he's just trying to figure all of that out. Absolutely. And you know, Michael's words are probably still ringing in the back of his head. I mean, his most trusted friend is telling him that he's too old to be doing these different things and he needs to grow up. And although, you know, he, he has this tough exterior, I mean, when you're closest, best friend says something to you, it can roll off of you, but in the back of your head, it's still there. And those little thoughts are bouncing around. So, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure all of that is into play Well, right and Michael now. wasn't the only one who said it. Lindsay said yeah. something to him about mm-hmm. it. You know, Justin didn't say anything to him necessarily, but Justin was just like, I'm going to evolve probably now and in the future. And if you're not willing, if you're not going to be doing that too, then mm-hmm. yeah, we're just not going to work out. But, uh, yeah, so he is kind of yeah. Yeah. That's what <laughs> but I think are. even for himself, like we talked about that scene with him at Babylon where it's like, okay, I don't belong to this scene in the same way anymore. Mm-hmm. And so even if I'm going to come here and have fun, I don't belong here in the same way. Mm-hmm. And he just, he hadn't figured himself out. Right. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this being Brian's stag party and not like both of their stag party? Well, it needed to be Brian's stag party because Brian is the one who they never thought would ever be getting married. You right. Know? And Brian I just don't think Justin one. cares. Yeah. About it. And I don't think he cares about that anyway. And it's it's also it was a fun way to poke fun at Brian, mm-hmm. you know, um, just to give it to him. And also, I think he would appreciate the gang celebrating him and doing a special little secret secret little party for him. The fact that Justin was in on it, you know, mm-hmm. made it more special. Like, this is not for me, baby. This is for you. So I love the idea that they actually did it. And they yeah. all came together and they were all there. Michael was there. Ben was there. Only person was, like you said, we missed the girls. We didn't, and I'm glad they didn't bring Debbie. Like, I love Debbie, but she don't have to be but at that's everything. that's not what this yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So. I'm glad. Like, it was the right people that needed to be there. We could have left Tad yeah. at home. You know what I'm saying? Or you yeah. could have been a tad bit late. Yeah. Ah, but, you <laughs> I know. I see what you did there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. But, um, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was a really good uh, really good thing. Yeah, and usually that kind of thing is thrown by your best friend. Mm-hmm. And so Michael threw this for Brian with everybody's help. I'm mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure Justin was involved in it. So was Ben and uh, Ted and Emmett. But, um, and then, so I'm sure Daphne probably had some separate right. for just right. different, yeah. But they probably did their own thing, you know. Anyway, we see Melanie and Lindsay coming downstairs and they find Gus sitting in his daddy's lap while Brian explains his ring bearer duties to him. <laughs> it's a really cute scene. Oh, no. And it's so great to see Brian being this comfortable with his son. Like, we've seen him play with Gus on the floor and interact with him many times over the seasons, but there's a deeper level of comfort mm-hmm. here in this. In this scene. It show, this scene shows that although we don't get to see it all the time, that Brian does make the effort, though. Mm-hmm. Because, Gus, if a kid doesn't know you, they're not, com- they're not coming to you like that. Right. You know, like, 
kids have really good judge of character. They know. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they say the, the craziest things, and they will not F with you if they don't F with you. Right. So, um, yeah, to see him, the way Gus is running to him, you know, and practicing and speaking and smiling, that, that whole interaction was just beautiful and warm. And it let me know that although we're not seeing it all the time, but Brian is coming there and making yeah. those efforts. Or they're bringing him over to the loft. But he is making that father-son connection. Yeah, Gus does know who mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. And I think it, it's Brian finally embracing what he wants to be in Gus's life. Because mm-hmm. at first he wanted to be, but then he was like, well, I can't be because I don't deserve to be. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be anything good for him. And then it was like, well, I want to be good for him, but I just don't know how to be. And now it's like, okay, this is my son. I'm going to be his father. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's getting a better idea of what he wants that relationship to, to be like. Uh, Brian has Gus practicing, bringing him the rings. And it's all just cute and precious. But I can tell you something. Gus is not going to make it down the aisle with them rings. He's got <laughs> mischief in his eyes. Yes, girl. <laughs> he's going to get distracted by the smallest thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here in practice, Gus does a good job. And from this scene, I know these two are going to be okay. Like, mm-hmm. Brian and Gus are going to be okay. Like, more than okay. Gus is not used to seeing Brian every day, so that's not going to be too much of a change right. for him. But I know that Brian will make every effort to talk to him on the phone and mm-hmm. to visit when he can. Yeah, and he like, has the resources to actually go visit yeah, and things of that nature. So yeah, yeah. so it, they're going to be they're going to be fine. Uh, Melanie comes in and says, "Better late than never," and that it seems that Brian finally grew a heart. I want to say Melanie could have picked some better words, but this is, this is their banter. This is how they. So in a way, I'm like, Melanie, girl, ugh. But also, but it's Melanie. But yeah, mm-hmm. and that this is how she and Brian communicate. And if she did say something more sentimental, it would be weird. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, and Brian would have capped back on her ass. Yeah, uh, but he knows it's a compliment right. and not a criticism, which is why he can throw back at her. Well, maybe she will have some luck growing something a bit more, <laughs> uh, a bit more phallic. <laughs> Lindsay takes Gus for a nap, and she's gonna have a time with that because he is <laughs> not ready to go down. Right, he let it be known, okay? <laughs> yeah. No, he said, no, yeah. "I'm not sleeping." He is like okay. hops up on some sugar, and he's going away calling Brian a cowboy chicken. So I think she gonna have a time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well melanie does try to give brian a sentimental speech but he cuts her off and i think it's his way of saying kind of what he said to michael i behave like a butthole you behave like a bigger one let's just move on mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah because the last interaction mm-hmm. we saw with them she was going off about him not letting them move Leave. to uh-huh. yeah move to canada melanie does tell him that she wants to wish him and justin all the happiness on earth which I think is meaningful coming from her because she's always been the one telling Justin he could and should do, do Right, that. right. <laughs> yeah. But she does realize how much they love each other and how committed they are to that relationship and all the things that they've been through. And she can relate to that because in her own marriage, they've been through a ton of crap, but they've always come back to each other. Mm-hmm. And she can see that in in them. So I think she does want them to be happy together. Brian says that he wants her to know that he's glad she's going to be there for the wedding. But lest things get too serious between the two of them, he says it would have really messed up Justin's seating arrangement (laughs) (laughs) if she weren't there. But I like seeing them patch things back Mm -hmm. together in their way, in a way that's true for who, how they interact with each other. Exactly. And I think that they have a a respect for each other and they have come to love one another in in their own way. Well, they know neither one of them are are going anywhere. Brian is going to be the staple in that life and Melanie is going to be a staple in that Mm -hmm. life. They have to find a way to co-parent and coexist. Yeah. Period. I think there's always going to be something a little bit antagonistic about their relationship, but they've made room for each other in their lives. And I actually see them becoming friends in secret, and Justin and Lindsay will know about it, but they won't ever bring it up. Right, I can see that. (laughs) But as soon as the rest of the gang get around, back to normal. Get off me, get away from me. And I think that's exactly how Brian and Mel would be. And it would be that same dynamic, too. They're always going to talk. They're always going to high side and cap. That means talk about each other if y'all don't know what capping is. But um, they're always going to have that back and forth banter between one another. That's what makes them. Like, they're both witty with the words. They're very sharp in the tongue. So they are going to have that back and forth. And then um, Brian is always going to just shoot her the little jabs about being the masculine one uh, of the two, you know, of her and Lindsay, two alphas together. So they're always going to bash heads. But they have enough respect for each other where it's never going to get too disrespectful. Yeah, I agree. As Brian is putting on his coat, he sees Justin's paintings, the one that he gifted to them. Melanie says she feels like Gertrude Stein having something like that in her possession. Gertrude Stein was an art collector and a writer and also a lesbian. And her haircut and Melanie's haircut are pretty similar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Gertrude. Uh, Yeah. 
If you look at a picture of her, like the haircut, they're they're both rocking it. And Gertrude's side was born in in Pittsburgh, so they also have the Pittsburgh. So look at them bringing up the little history too. Yeah. These writers are badass, y'all. Yeah. I've been saying that. Uh-huh. I've been saying it. Um, but what Melanie means is that it's like having a Picasso before he became Picasso. So mm-hmm. Gertrude and her brothers, they were like all in the art scene, but they were meeting a lot of the pe- these people before they became what they ultimately became. Right. Like Picasso and um, a lot of other ones. Anywho, and so that's what she's saying with Justin's like, he's right on the verge yeah. of this thing that he's going to it was become. A, yeah. a wonderful compliment. Yeah. And Brian is looking at this painting and obviously having his own internal monologue. And he says to Melanie, he really is good, isn't he? And Brian knows that. He doesn't need Melanie to confirm that. He's always known that. Um, I think it's more of an acknowledgement of what is right in front of Justin mm-hmm. and what Justin, like, this is where he's headed. Like, and this is a clear path for him. Like, he can definitely, he can definitely do this. And Melanie says, yes, he's good. And that's why you better be good to him, considering everything he's given up. For you, and again, that's where I'm like, Melanie, not the right word choices, not the right, word. yeah, and okay. not your place, not your place. Oh, that verbiage could have been totally different. It, it could have been a compliment. She, in there it. was a little something to it. Yeah, when she said it too. they had a little spice on it, a yeah. little shake, shake. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she again, and I don't think she meant it in. She didn't mean it in a bad way. No, but baby, like we are. Brian already knows that they're both sacrificing to get married. Yeah, I just felt like she was. You know, this ain't your lane, boo. Like, no. don't don't come over here. And she's the get, worst driver. She always crossing yeah, over. Yeah, she always crossing over. Lindsay too. Yeah. Um, but I, she's always been like a big sister to Justin. She's always felt that way. So maybe this is her version of a shovel talk. Right. You know, yeah. Where she's like, you mm-hmm. better do right by yeah. him, kind of thing. Maybe. Um, Brian doesn't really respond to her. He just kind of blinks at her and gives her something like a smile because I think he already knows that. And mm-hmm. he, He's starting to feel like, okay, something about this is costing him something. Exactly. It's costing Justin something. And I don't think Brian's comfortable with he, He's that. not. The history shows Brian has always pushed Justin to follow his heart. I mean, whether it was getting to art school, then when he got bashed, he had to get him to computer so he can continue his art. He's always pushed him forward toward his dreams and things. So the fact that she said, oh, and you better treat him right because this is what he's giving up to be with you. He already knew so I think he has a lot, a lot of things that's just festering on his mind right now. Like, mm-hmm. what do I do? Do I marry this kid or do I let him go to pursue greatness? Because this kid really has it. He's a talent. What do I do? So, I mean, like, he's just in a crossroads. Yeah. Um. What do we think about Brian's hairstyle right here? It's a little bit helmety to me. Yeah. It's a little flat and helmety. But, but it's, I mean. It feels cold outside, so he probably had a little hat or something on. Sure. And, sure. Let's go with that. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it's Brian, so it's still gorgeous. Yeah. Because Brian serves hair yeah. looks all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Emmett, too. Emmett serves some good looks. Emmett serves some good <laughs> looks, y'all. Uh, everything that Emmett wore back then would be fashion forward right now. It okay? would be, yeah. Because that was like end of the 90s, early 2000s, and that's really in. Yeah, it's now. all back. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Then we see Debbie hustling at the diner. She's telling everyone about Michael's uh, speech, and she's also there helping Hunter study some old queens. I like that Hunter is studying there now because we Michael tells us that he did that when he was mm-hmm. in school. We saw Justin doing that when he was in high school. Family routine. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Just kind of a rite of passage. You got to do your homework at the <laughs> diner. Yeah. Um, and he's doing it for his, these are old queens for his history class. I should mention that. Uh, she reminds <laughs> she reminds Kiki to be sure to come to the speech, but Kiki has her trans support group that night. Bring them, girl. Yeah, Debbie's like, bring everybody with you. And she's like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, We're going to turn up. Uh, Ted and Emmett are also at the diner, and Ted is telling him about Tad flipping out and how it seemed to be out of nowhere. And he goes through the behaviors that Tad exhibited, and Emmett's like, that sounds like borderline personality disorder. Ted can't believe that he didn't see it, but Emmett says it's because you didn't want to. You wanted to be in love, so you just saw what you wanted to see. You only saw the good stuff. And that's a very human thing and a very normal thing. So he doesn't need to beat himself up about it. Uh, Emmett tells him that the right guy will come along. He always has the right things to say to his friend. Like, he, because he could have been like, ha ha, I told you so. Yeah, you know, he uh-huh. could have hit one of because, girl, you know, I'm petty. That would have been me. <laughs> I'd be like, before we even get into it, told you so, bitch. Yeah. You know, then I, then I would have said all that, you know, but he yeah. didn't. Like, he found the warmth in that. And he was able to deliver something, you know, that was positive to his friend and let him know, like, hey, you're a great person. And trust me, you don't have to chase it, baby. It's going to come to you. I like that they gave this a 
descriptor, like they called it borderline personality disorder, mm-hmm. because sometimes that kind of separates it from the person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it's like, oh, they have this condition. And so mm-hmm. it just lets you look at it a little bit different. It's like, it's not that he's just un, well, he might be unhinged, but here's why he's unhinged. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, baby. Just a small thing. Um, anytime there's some kind of like mental health issue going on, I like when they can kind of assign a, here's what's going on mm-hmm. with this person, you know. Brian and Michael are out for a very fancy meal. This place is not Liberty Diner. They had to wear suits here. The suit that Michael is wearing is the one he's planning to give Brian away in at their <laughs> at their wedding. Brian says he doesn't care what Michael wears, and Michael suggests he wear his leather pants from the first time they went to Babylon. And I love this look at uh, you mentioned this in the in your reaction episode. This look at the them now and the younger mm-hmm. the younger them to see how much has changed in oh girl a lot changed look at brian's outfit and that <laughs> and that, that memory okay yeah. oh no yeah but the most important thing hasn't changed like they're still friends right yeah so that that is still there and what i took away from that too is like they experienced so many firsts together mm-hmm. you know like really so many did. and now brian witnessed michael's wedding you know was there to give him away and, and michael is returning the favor and giving him away that's another first like they will continue to create these memories in these moments. Like, it's not the end. I know that we know this the end of the episode, end of the season, but it's not the end. They're going the yeah. to forever have more first together that they're going to create and build together, especially now that they have children that are siblings, you know? So <laughs> yeah. they, they, they will have a lot of firsts. I like that they are continuing to enter into new things side by side. Like you said, Brian stood beside him at his wedding, and now mm-hmm. Michael's going to do that for him. And it's not just that. Like, there are other things that they will continue to stand side by side Mm -hmm. and enter into with each other. So that's the cool. And then they have other people with them, too. So, like, they will, of course, always have their history and their connection. But that has grown a lot. It's Mm -hmm. not just the two of them anymore. Well, Michael did not love Brian's shirt from their first trip to Babylon. But he did think that Brian looked hot. So hot, in fact, that he featured in Michael's uh, fantasies that night. I don't feel like that had to be discussed. It, it didn't. <laughs> but, you know, Brian, wanted, he needed to stroke Brian's little ego. You know. Uh, I don't think Brian was asking for that ego <laughs> stroke. But I guess all of Michael's memories prior to Ben was all are all toward, shaded mm-hmm. with that crush that he had mm-hmm. on him. So, I mean... Any time, any memory that they have, Michael was in love with Brian during that, right. <laughs> during that, you know, or or obsessed with him, or infatuated with him, or whatever you want to call it. That was there too, and so as they're looking back on that history, that is a part of their history. That Question for had. you: Do you think if Michael actually would have got a little taste of the D, do you think he was still? Because you know, they say once you get it, you know, oh, once I get it, I don't, you know, everybody always want what they can't have. So, so they say. Um, once he finally got a little taste of the D, do you think he still would have been having that strong crush or would have been like, oh, I got my taste, my feel, I'm good? I think he would have still had it because he... It was more than sex? Well, it was more than... He idolized Brian Mm -hmm. and he had this... um, He romanticized him too, in a way. And so he... Brian was this hero. He was this bigger than life thing. And Michael needs a hero to worship. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like Brian would have still been that for him, right. even if they did physically hook up. I think that he would have still been that for him. And it, it, in a way, I could say, in a way, I could say it might have like toned it down a bit because he would have at least had him in, on some level. Right. But in another way, I think it would have made it worse because he did have a taste of him and was and like, he wanted again. "Okay, how do I make that happen again?" Or mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And he might have would he probably would have had a harder time with Brian and the tricks because it was never really easy for him. I think the only thing that made it easy was that they immediately Brian forgot about him moving right, on. Right. And but he didn't like it while it was happening. And so if he had been with Brian and then Brian went back to doing that, he might have had a harder time. Right, because you know what? We saw a million backroom scenes with Michael literally just standing there talking, like, bro, I'm over here trying to handle my business. Yeah. You over here having a conversation with me? Okay. <laughs> Trying to sneak a peek. Okay. Yeah. Like, get your ass on, baby. Let me finish and then we can finish. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's what I think. Yeah. What do you think? No, I, I agree with you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with yeah. you because okay. I feel like it was it was more than sex for Michael. Mm-hmm. Like, he wanted like a whole relationship. But like you said, yeah. he idolized him. Like, he put him up so high on his pedestal. If he would have got a taste, that would have been crazy. Yeah. He would have been went, like a yeah. hit of something. Yeah, that baby. You cannot nah. get off He would have been chasing it high always. Mm-hmm. He would have ran everybody away. It would have got weird. I feel like it would have altered the friendship. Oh, yeah. Their, their friendship wouldn't have survived. Yeah, it. not at no. all. Uh, no. Or if it did, it would have been years before it was okay mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so yeah, Michael tells him about what he did that night, but Brian doesn't let it get weird. He says that he featured in his own fantasy that night too. Um, <laughs> Michael says, "Who would have thought Babylon would be gone and we'd be sitting here in suits?" Well, he expects Brian to say, "Well, this is we're pathetic now," but Brian says it's inevitable, and Michael kind of raises an eyebrow to him responding in that way. He's like. Well, my thing is, you asked for the growth, and I'm giving it to you. Now you're looking surprised and shocked. What is it? Like, well, yeah, because I think him saying, "Well, it's inevitable." It's like, well, this what you're not making a choice to be who you are right now. Mm-hmm. You just feel like you have to. And I think Michael can recognize it hasn't quite clicked mm-hmm. to him why that is wrong, right? But uh, yeah, he's like, mm, it ain't sound. sounding right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian orders a glass of Merlot, and Michael orders a Pepsi, but changes it to white wine. And I like that they are showing us how they are both still trying to adjust to being adults mm-hmm. and what that requires of them. Like, Michael wants a Pepsi, but he has to remind himself that he's in his white wine phase of life now. <laughs> he's not supposed to want Pepsi right. anymore. Uh, and it gives you a little hint at this internal struggle. It's a silly way to mm-hmm. do it, but it gives you, you see that internal battle that they're having where it's like, here's what's in my nature to desire and to want, but I'm I'm supposed to have this I new should nature. Feel, I yeah. should, yeah, mm-hmm. I should want that. And so even Michael is struggling with that. Like we know Brian is, but even Michael is mm-hmm. is too. Because he's now he thinks that he's the mature one and he's got everything figured out. But it's like, well, wait a minute, I still got some parts of me <laughs> exactly, that, that part. <laughs> I still want to put on my Captain Astro shirt. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. My girl, I never even thought about that. Like, how dare you tell somebody yeah. that they need to grow up and you walk around here with comic book shirts and cereals and, I mean, boy, not, he had a whole cutout. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Life size. Stop yeah. fucking playing with me. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I am not bashing Michael, y'all. Actually, I love Michael in this episode, so I'm not going to bash him. Yeah, but what, what we're saying is just that it was, I like how they are showing mm-hmm. us this struggle, this internal battle. In these very small, subtle ways. Well, it's almost time for Michael's speech. He is seated on stage with Ben and Hunter. And then um, Debbie, Emmett, Kiki, and a few of her other people from her group come in. And they they sit front row in the reserved seats because they assume these are reserved for Michael's friends and family. Well, Congresswoman Beth sees this and is like, oh, no. And she has them moved to the back the nerve yeah michael wants to know what's going on and she says those seats are reserved for couples with children Mm. uh like you that's what she tells what she tells michael uh she keeps emphasizing that like and that's how people groom and indoctrinate you into Mm -hmm. trying to connect you to their agenda like just like you they're just like you Mm -hmm. like you know like people who are just like you yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. to make it seem like they're pumping you up Mm -hmm. really they're trying to draw you into that part baby yeah but sure enough couples and their children do file into the front row and debbie's group wasn't even over the top i mean not this time because they normally could they could they can do it yeah they 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 can turn it out if they want to but they didn't do that they didn't do that today well, Beth gets uh, everything started, and she introduces Michael, a survivor of the tragedy that happened at Babylon. Mm-hmm. Michael has his pre-written speech, and he gets started on that. A side note, we find out it's only been a few weeks since the bombing, so everything is moving really quickly. Um, Michael reads, I have a loving partner, two wonderful kids, a home, a small business. The truth is, I'm just like you. And that makes him pause, because actually, that is not the truth. In a lot of ways, he's just like everyone else. He wants to be happy, he wants security, and he wants a little extra money in his pocket. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, he is not like everyone else. Everyone, or the you in this context, being straight society. Like, no, I'm not just like them. He says that parts of his life are not like theirs, and why Why should it be? We don't have to have the same lives to have the same rights. And that's mm-hmm. a very good point. <laughs> I don't think anybody could have written it any better. I was happy that he reclaimed his power, you mm-hmm. know, and reclaimed himself. No one could have written that, like, for him. He needed to feel those words. If he wanted to connect with an audience and give something that was true and true to himself, he needed to speak it himself. I was glad. I was so happy to see that he overcame his fears. And he was honest with himself and everyone else in that room. Yeah, I think Michael needed this little wake-up call. Like, all season, he had been preaching what that lady was preaching. Like, people need to see the nice, cooperative, Mm non-threatening, assimilating gays. And but the whole point of identifying in the queer community is to not have to conform exactly to that or knowing that you don't conform to that and giving yourself freedom to do what feels right and natural to you, whether it fits mainstream society or not. Uh, I like that they include this in here because 
typically that's what you see. The white, cisgendered, I could pass for straight, successful businessman type, like a Ben, for mm-hmm. example. That is who they have usually tried to put as the face of the gay and queer community. And I know that there are a lot of issues and complaints about that, even within the community and throughout history. And I feel like the writers of Queer as Folk took that an opportunity to address that and say, no, this community actually has many faces and many Mm -hmm, colors and many mm -hmm. shades. And it's the people that you allow to be in the front row and the people that you may go to the back. Like, all of those people belong to this community and can be the face of this Mm -hmm. this community. Because they are the community. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I like that they, in a subtle way, kind of challenged that or at least Mm -hmm. addressed that because that has been an issue. I know um, even with stuff during... When AIDS was a really big deal, you know, the people that they tried to have be the face of that mm-hmm. of that campaign. But then a lot of the women were the lesbian women were like, OK, well, what about us? Like, exactly. you know, like uh, where do we fit in or why can't we get a voice in this or whatever? So I like that they tried to find a way. True. To- it took me years to see that there were so many different walks of gay. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Just being queer, like so many different forms because you only talk so much on TV. You either have the over the top image. They only show you one one type. Right, you know really, what I'm saying? Yeah. You only get that one. So it was like, it took a while for me to figure out who I was, you know? I'm glad that they actually did challenge that. Because like you said, it doesn't matter if they are the ones, the couple married couples with the children in the front. But we still got to include everybody that's in the back because we're all in this, this race together. Mm-hmm. And we have to move like one moving unit if we want to get our voices heard. And that's what it was. I'm glad that Michael brought everyone in. The transvestites, as the Congress lady called it. Push her to the back. No, baby. Let the light. Turn the camera over there. And they all got to see everybody in the back row that yeah. was there to support. It needed to be inclusive. Yeah. Okay, guys. And so this is where we're going to leave you for this part of 513. Um, I legit have 30 pages of typed out notes left on this episode. So we're going to have to break it up a little bit. We'll be right back. But luckily, you won't have to wait too long for us to get into the next part of This one where we hope to wrap it up, but we may not because there's a lot going on. Alrighty, guys. Um, Well, until next time, we are out of here. Bye. Bye.